mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 45. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And we are so excited to be joined today by Bethany Lockhart. Bethany is a kindergarten teacher in California. And Bethany, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm super honored to be asked to speak about one of my most favorite things, which is teaching math. Yes, we love And it. all the other things. You can ask me about other things besides that. But. Okay, good. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. So this is like super cool for us because we've been four through sixth grade teachers for the majority of our career. I did have four years in first grade. So I have done the little kids. So the fact that you teach kindergarten is just really intrigued us. And we're kind of just interested in how you got there and what your experience was as a math student. I know a little bit on ShadowCon, you shared your experience as some math students in high school, but have you always been a kindergarten teacher? Did you start higher and end lower? How did that work? So I actually have always been interested in education. And when I was an undergrad in college, well, in middle school and elementary school, I, I like volunteered in the library. And then I did this teaching program when I was in college, but I was also a the- theater and dance were two of my majors. And I loved it. So I loved dance. I loved theater. And I really felt like that like education and the arts was like the perfect combination for me. And so I actually wound up teaching theater and dance for many years. And I taught in all grades. I taught, well, let's not say all grades. I taught like K through middle school primarily. And I taught one or two uh, high school classes. And my big job was teaching basically teaching teachers how to incorporate the visual and performing arts standards into their classroom. And I loved that. But then I moved uh, back to Southern California. I'd gone away for school and I lived in the Bay Area for a while. And once I came back to California, I realized how much I was kind of hungry to teach other things, to teach math, to teach reading. And I was working in the library at the time. And um, I remember I was helping students with homework. And it was this homework that was just like, I was like, I remember this question. It said, if you want to learn about Mozart, where will you look? Will you look in a thesaurus, a dictionary, or an encyclopedia? And I remember sitting with this little girl. And I said, "This." I was like part of the homework help group. And I said, "Um, do you know who Mozart is? And she's like, no. I said, do you know what a dictionary is? No. Do you know what a thesaurus? And I'm sitting with this little girl and I'm thinking, okay, what is the point of this question? You know, first of all, this little girl will never use any of those things. She's (laughs) going to use Google. Right. And second of all, like, I just, I mean, that's just one, that's like tip of the iceberg of things I would see. And it's not so much a critique of the the teachers. I don't know what was going on in their classroom, but I just saw these students and I got – really passionate about helping them connect to content and I wanted to have my own classroom where I could help them make sense of 
the world and dive into the standards and all the standards. So I went back to school and I got my master's at uh, UCI, uh, University of California, Irvine. I became a teacher and I student taught in TK and fifth. So I had a taste of fifth. So <laughs> let me tell you, that was an adventure, but that would be a whole other episode. <laughs> that was like my experience, right? kindergarten, fifth grade student teaching. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the best because I really saw where these students start and then oh my goodness let's talk about decimals you know yeah <laughs> and um then when i went out and applied for jobs i the first job that i got was a, as a kindergarten teacher and i had had the tk experience so i was excited about it but i absolutely fell in love with teaching kindergarten oh. i absolutely fell in love with it and so that has been my my role as a as a you know the primary classroom teacher so how long have you been in kindergarten? This is my fifth year. Okay. Awesome. So I taught theater and dance for about 10 years and then went back to school to get my credential. And so now this is my fifth year as a, as a kindergarten teacher. That's awesome. So I tried counting collections in my sixth grade class. Yay. Yeah, I'm sure it was a little different than how exciting yours seemed in your kindergarten <laughs> class. So I'm hoping to glean something about and even for our listeners who are tuning in because we have a kindergarten teacher on, will you just talk about your tweet and what you did and how you went about doing the counting collections? Sure. Well, I, I first want to say that, you know, when I was growing up, math class was not necessarily a place where I felt competent or capable, uh, particularly after fifth grade. Like up until then, I was like, okay. But then after that, I really, I just felt like, well, I guess this isn't a space for me. And I really had to reclaim math as an adult. And you mentioned the ShadowCon and uh, ShadowCon that I, I did at, uh, which is a talk that I did at uh, NCTM, the conference mm -hmm. last year. And really I was talking about, you know, my identity as a mathematician and how so often these fears can hold me back from what I want to try in my classroom. And I think that shows up sometimes when we want to dive into these routines, right? So counting collections is an example of a routine uh, where students are given a collection of objects and they're asked to count and then asked to record how they got that count. And the idea is it's not only building the counting sequence, but it's also helping the students make sense of quantity, help they're organizing in different ways, they're looking at different ways to count and record and work with a partner. Sometimes they're counting by themselves, but sometimes they're with a partner. So there's so much negotiation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been in trainings where we've listed out the standards that counting collections hits, and it's so rich for the students. So that was a very, very long, <laughs> long route to say that one of my goals this year is to really help make the math that my students do more visible, not only for themselves, but then also for the community. So I've been trying to tweet about launches that I'm doing or problems that I'm doing. And we're on the 28th day of school. So recently I did this. It started as like, oh, I think I'll do like five tweets. And it ended up being like 14 tweets. <laughs> so basically I, I talked about how I chose to launch counting collections in my kindergarten classroom. And I was trying to be really specific to say, this is not the only way, this is not the best way. I, I'm not, I'm saying this is 
a way to launch a routine in a classroom, right? right? And I think sometimes when we're putting ourselves out there, it can feel like, oh, am I, you know, what if somebody doesn't like this idea or what if they think I did it wrong or what if they want to do it differently? And I'm very clear that like, I am not presenting myself as an expert. I'm presenting myself as a learner and I'm learning right along with my students. So hopefully it came across that way that, hey, this is what I tried. Here's what I really liked about it. And here's some things I'm like, oh, we're going to work on that, right? Yeah. So, um, okay, so I'm going to pause here because I don't know if you want how detailed you want well, me to be. Well, did everyone get the same number of eyes in their bag? Did every kid have the same <clears throat> amount? So the way that I chose to launch the routine was I started, I played a video and this video happens to be a video of the daughter of Nick Johnson, who is the author, one of the co-authors of Young Children's Mathematics. He's featured in Counting Collections and Coral Counting. He's an amazing uh, educator and mathematician. And he had this great video of his daughter counting. And this was like 10 years ago. And her sequence, if you were to hear it, her sequence is off. But I turned the volume off and I asked students, what do you notice and wonder? What do you think she's doing? And the students immediately are like, she's counting. And so I'm like, how do you know she's counting? What tells you that she's counting? And then I, I chart, well, what is counting? Where do we count? What do we count? And after that, I say, well, today we're going to count. And the students kind of get excited about it because, you know, I have students saying, you could count Legos, you could count flags, you could count teachers, you could count. I mean, they start <laughs> to get really into it. And that's the idea, right? That I want students to see counting as something that you can just do, right? So the way that I launch it, I give everyone their own little baggie and in it, every single person has eight googly eyes. And I chose eight because it's a number that's within 10, but is, you know, bigger than five. A lot of times in kindergarten, the big focus is five, right? But that doesn't mean we're going to stop counting at five. Mm -hmm. So eight is a small enough number that students can dive in, count it and represent it all within about 15 minutes. So everybody counts, they represent it in some way. And during that time, I'm walking around asking them questions. And then I do, I take some pictures, I project it, I do a little mini share out. And I think I shared on my tweet that, you know, the first thing I asked is, can you take, you think you can take the eyes out of the bag? And all of my students like in chorus said, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, and it's like, who put that limit on them? Right? Yeah. Like they're five, right? Five and six. I'm like, wait, you can't, I want you to take it out of the bags. Like, you know, this idea that they have access to this, that they can touch it, that they can move it around in whatever yeah. way is going to help them make sense. So they count it, we share it out. And then I say, you know, now you're going to get to, and we kind of talk about, oh, I noticed that Jose wrote the numbers. Oh, what did you do? Oh, you lined them up. Oh, okay. Again, just talking about what I see them doing and mm -hmm. asking the students, what did you do? Then they pair them up and they get to go work and count a larger collection that's over 30. It's sometimes it's like in the, the sometimes it's in the twenties, but generally over 30, because I think really juicy stuff happens when the kiddos get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And for some kids, they're counting, you know, I have a couple of kids who are counting to a hundred, but most of my kiddos, you know, September and kindergarten are 
you know, they get, they miss a couple team numbers and then around the 20s are like 28, 29. I don't know what comes next, right? And so it's this exploration of like, well, what do you do? Yeah. Where, where can you, where in the classroom could you look to find that out? Who could you ask? How could you figure that out? What tools could we use? And so we just start this conversation and at least for this first lesson, the only objective I have is that students dive in. You know, I'm not trying to get them to group by tens. I'm not trying to get them to record perfectly. I'm not giving them tips or or hit like, oh, if you wrote it and then circled a group of 10, it would really help you later. No, <laughs> no, that's not my job. This is an exploration. Yeah. And so that's how we launch it. And it was, it's great because you know, a friend of mine says, I give them a bag and say, count this, tell me how many you have. And that's fine. That's a fine launch. That's what she wants to do. And there's, and that's the beautiful thing about routines is that you can approach them in countless different ways. If you're going to approach it in a way that, that has meaning for you. So tell me about how you put them in their partners. Was that random? Uh, for the, the partnership when they went off to work on the right, collections. Right, to to 30. Mm-hmm. So I usually am pretty strategic about partners, but for this first one, there were only, I'd say maybe five or six partnerships that I was really curious about. I have two students who speak almost no English, and so I paired them with another student who speaks both Spanish and English. So I was strategic strategic about that and then I have one student who does not like to speak right he 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 kind of like is a mom he's like you know not he's he's not really forthcoming and I really want him to feel you know comfortable sharing and talking so I put him with somebody who I've seen him kind of have a like a casual comfortable relationship with right I want it to be not intimidating I want it to be a fun exploration and then a couple of the other students I paired I you know I said oh I want to see how they navigate this larger collection or I have this one student who's counting to 100 and another girl who she's counting she can count to about in the late 20s and then she gets kind of confused but she's like hungry to learn <laughs> and I know he loves teaching so I'm like oh let's see what happens <laughs> and you know so I just kind of like pay attention to like what am I curious about you know and then there are a couple partnerships I'm like hmm I don't know if I want to try that partnership again anytime soon. You know? <laughs> and that's okay. It's about, you know, it's about trying something. Sure. Have you decided like how often you're going to do counting collections or do you have a, I don't know, a, a goal for that particular thing? Or is there another routine that takes its place? Well, I think counting collections is pretty singular. This idea that they get to really be so hands-on I in our class we definitely do which one doesn't belong we do ways to make a certain number uh we do coral counting but counting collections I ideally will be doing once a week and then at some point I'm going to have like a counting collection bonanza where we do like three or four days right it's amazing what you can see when they're building on these ideas but the thing with counting collections like with any routines is that share out piece is so critical because I've seen counting collections be far less successful when let's say it's done as part of a rotation or it's done in isolation. Oh, I have 20 minutes. Um, Yeah, go count this. Okay, go out to recess. And I'm not saying there's never space for that. Sometimes you're counting for the joy of counting, right? But 
really just like with word problems where I see growth and where I see students engaging with the work in more meaningful ways is when there's some sort of share out, when they're presenting their representation, how did they count it? And sometimes that's with photos. Sometimes I'm walking around taking pictures of how they organize their count and I'm projecting that and asking them, you know, what do you notice and wonder? And then I'm having a, the actual counters <laughs> come up and, and talk about what they did. And sometimes it's projecting an image or sometimes it's projecting, you know, things side by side. Um, if I'm projecting students' work, it's always with their permission. I've definitely had students say, oh, no, thank you, <laughs> you know? Because hmm. I want math to feel safe and, and I want them to take the risk of sharing. But if today's not a day you want to share, it's okay. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely have seen it be most successful when you're sharing out. And the share out doesn't have to be incredibly elaborate. It can just be, hey, I noticed this group doing this. What do you notice? You know, and having the students talking about their work because then they get into the, the routine of not only understanding the idea that once they count their showing that representation on paper and that is going to be shown to someone else we're trying to communicate an idea mathematicians mm -hmm. communicate their thinking and representations are one way they do that i i'm just thanks for sharing all that about in in detail i'm so interested in how teachers make the decisions in their classroom and like listening to somebody who really thinks through all the little partnerships and your numbers and like i think that that's one of the things that, you know, new teachers, I've been working with a lot of new teachers, and so they don't always think through those things, and then it's fun to, like, hear somebody who has a lot of experience, like, what are all the things you thought through? Did you have something to add? You were thinking. I, I, was, tell. I was thinking, like, that would be a really good activity for me to introduce decimals, like, just get all my base 10 blocks out and let them count them in groups mm -hmm. and then change what the whole is and see if they mm. can transfer what they have. Yeah. If you've counted 200 units, what is that on my decimal chart now that you know that that's a hundredth and how can you write that and how can you share that? Yeah. I I was totally listening, but I was just taking your <laughs> hey, kindergarten. Transferring. You. To, it, yes. Transferring. It, it, that matters a lot. If you heard something that you feel connects to your, your standards, that's beautiful. It's all connected. That's it's all right. one big progression. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to say, we kind of mentioned it already, but I have to say your shadow con talk was awesome. I've probably oh, listened yeah. to it like four times. <laughs> I, I was More sitting. Than my mom. Oh, really? Like okay. Then... <laughs> <laughs> I was, I watched it from my couch and I started watching because I knew that the picture of my daughter and I wearing our math gals shirt was going to be on it. I had yes. heard, I had the, the I heard that was going to happen. So yours was first. Knows, yeah. Yeah. So I would just, I just sat on my couch. It was like, this is so good. This is so good. So oh, do you remember that? Do you remember watching it with me? I remember. I was sitting yeah. there beside you. Yeah. Oh. So thank you for that. And um, I will put a link to it on Facebook on our show notes. We'll put a link to that. So encourage people to listen to it if they haven't already. <coughs> but so I know you talked about how the counting collections is a brave, bold math move. Have you? Do you have any others that you've tried this year or ones that you're hoping to do? You know, I will say that I think the biggest brave, bold move in general is that I changed schools after last Ooh, year. Okay. And I loved my school so much. And I, 
I felt such a deep connection to the families. And the thing is, is like once you teach one student, their siblings keep coming. And it's so lovely because you know the family and their their sibling will come in and be a mystery reader. And, you know, I really, I felt a deep connection to these families and to my principal. I mean, my principal officiated my wedding. So, oh, like, wow. I, I just got married this summer, too. So, congratulations. That so, is a brave, bold move. Yeah. I, you know what? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it was a very, very hard decision. And the reason I left is because it, the school was a lot closer to UCI where I'd gone for grad school, but then I live further away. And so it was like, over an hour commute each way wow. and it was impacting my ability to be like present and rested and patient <laughs> so you know it's this is the job that I want to do you know long term and I have to do it in a way that's going to be sustainable and that's going to allow me to have a little more balance so it was a really hard decision but you know uh and I, I think the other part part about it was that when I put myself out into this new district, it was okay. The state of California says I can teach K through six. I might get put into fifth grade, oh, you know? And, yes. and, you know, I mean, I do think at some point in my career, I'd like to teach another grade, but I'm really grateful that it, it worked out that not only did I enter into an amazing district, a CG district but also I'm teaching kindergarten again so I, I feel really 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 grateful for that and um, that's pretty much like the biggest move I feel like I've made in a long time yeah. and it was one of those things where this is really scary and I don't know how this is going to turn out and here we go <laughs> you know <laughs> that's awesome well I'm glad it's been a good move for you that's great all right so I have I'm starting this year as a um, instructional coach. I'm I'm tasked with everything but literacy, but I'm trying to do as much math as I can. <laughs> um, and my principal's behind that. So I've been, you know, go wading into kindergarten and pre-K with like be, being very careful because I am not the expert and don't even pretend to be and kind of like exploring some of those things with them. So one of the big things that we've been talking about, they decided to start, well, our, our division started the whole pacing guide with shapes instead of numbers this year, kind of trying it mm-hmm. out. And so they were doing shapes first and um, this whole idea of what a rectangle is and, you know, a rectangle, contrary to what teachers pay teachers might say, is not defined as a a four-sided shape with two short sides and two long sides. So we had to have that discussion. And so I just want to get your take on that. And what do you hope, like how by the end of the year, how will your kids be talking about it, you hope? And um, what, what do you want them to walk away from kindergarten knowing about that? Oh, okay. Well, first I want to say that I think starting with shapes is, I mean, that's great. Like we, we started with shapes too, but I have to give a plug that shapes are a supporting standard. And so they're not separate from the major standards, like the counting and cardinality standards. So something I love is finding ways to incorporate shapes into our counting. So even though we're talking about what's a triangle, what's a rectangle, what's a square, you're counting how many triangles you see, or you have word problems that incorporate the shapes, or they're drawing them, you're counting the sides, oh, how many sides you have now. So finding a way to layer those supporting and additional standards with the major standards is like the 
the beauty of all of our grades, right? Yeah. Is that you have these standards, you have a standard about time in second grade. And it's like, well, let's not only spend this week on time. We've got to, we've got to really make that a piece of these other, so we got to get to all these major standards. So right. I just encourage that because I think sometimes it's easy to go down shape road and forget like, oh, wait, did we count them? Like, here's a bag of shapes, or maybe it's a counting collection where it's all shapes, right? Yeah. Um, and we did a, you know, you can do a shape hunt and how many triangles did you find? Anyway, okay. So, sorry. I just, that's <laughs> no, that's good. Part. That's really good. But, um, okay, the shape, <laughs> the rectangle square debate. Okay, so there's some really great songs about like, you know, remember kids, a rectangle always has two short sides and two long sides and there's great arts and crafts you can do and all of these things. But I think it's about really like knowing our standards, right? And so diving into the idea of what makes these shapes unique. What are the attributes that are actually specific to this shape? Right. Right. And I don't often sit around thinking about the difference between like what makes a rectangle a rectangle or when do I call a rectangle a square? Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the whole idea behind any standards, but particularly when you're talking about describing shapes, sorting shapes, under being able to recognize attributes of a shape. I really want my students to be practicing that language, right? I really want my students to be, well, I notice, so like you might do a notice wonder where it's all rectangles, but one of them's a square. Okay. Okay. Well, what, what's the same about those? What's different about those? Oh, they all have four sides. They all have this like kind of L in the corner. And so, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you say, oh, we call that a right angle and just like move past it. We're not going to spend an hour talking about, you know, 90 degree angles, but sure. just, oh yeah. Oh, hey, does that, oh, can we do that with our finger? Do we see that anywhere else? That kind of thing. And then as you're talking about it, well, these are all rectangles, but there's a really special rectangle that we call a square. Now, what makes a square special? And then diving into, well, a square is special because all four sides are the same length. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, so if I see a square, is that a rectangle? If I see a rectangle, is that automatically a square? And just having conversations about it and really supporting my kiddos in that language. I know I don't need them to be able to name every single attribute, but I want them to be able to talk about it and say, oh, I know that shape is special because, and, you know, be able to name one or two defining attributes about it. Um, and the other thing is the big thing with shapes is I want my kiddos to recognize them in the environment, which is really what is our goal, right? Is to, right. that they're not this abstract thing, but it's like, oh, I see I see this shape, it almost looks like a square or that piece of pizza almost looks like a triangle. Oh, but is it a triangle? Does it have three straight sides? And you know, those kind of conversations where I, I try to, to let, I know where my goal is. I want my, my kiddos to be able to say that these are all rectangles, but there's a kind of rectangle that is totally special and these rectangles they're all rectangles even though they're flipped this way and that or this one's long and this one's tall right but this rectangle is so special that it has its own name and we call it a square yeah and you know even in books that i'll read uh, um some of my you know these great shape books and they say it and it's a generalization that yeah most rectangles are but you know if we're gonna if we're gonna teach them we might as well you know, we might as well tell them, you know what I mean? Tell I, them the truth. Know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Teach it mathematically. Yeah. 
I have to give a shout out to one of my teachers. I know she'll never listen to this, but Miss Jackson is a pre-K <coughs> teacher. And she, you're making a face at me. She, um, you know, my teachers have like stretched a lot as we've talked about this. I'm really proud of them for going outside their, you know, what they've taught for a long time and being like, okay, we'll try it, you know, and we'll give it a go. And she was reading a book called The School's First Day of School. Have you ever read that book? I before? have read that. Uh-huh. She, well, she found the page where the teacher was teaching that a square is a special rectangle and the school was learning it. And she just was like, I got to tell you this. Look at what is in this book. It's what you said <laughs> it was so exciting for her to like see it outside of just me telling her you know awesome. yeah you're like oh now you believe it now exactly exactly because it's in this book so then i, mean, I passed even it. if and the thing is when you see when you see like shape resources <laughs> it's it's kind of this beautiful reminder that we have to be critical consumers right and yes. you know we have to attend to not only the standards but we have to look through the material and like trust that okay, but if I know that this isn't true, what can I, it doesn't mean ditch the textbook and throw it out completely and just start piecemealing things that aren't coherent, but how do I really look at this material in front of me and make sure that it's communicating the actual attributes of this shape that I'm trying to teach my students? Right. And my students are capable of holding the idea that a square is a special type of rectangle. I don't have to, no, no, no. You better just tell them that that's a square and that's a rectangle. It might get too confusing. No, our kids are capable of that. They tell me about these like long dinosaur names, you know, they can hold that idea in their head, you know? Yeah. I love it. Um, So I, I get, I kind of already know probably what you're going to say, but about patterns, Um, the more I read about it, the more I know that patterns shouldn't be like this week, we're going to do patterns. Okay. We left that behind and now we're going to do something else. Like I, I get that an ideal situation would be woven through everything we do. Um, But unfortunately this is the week on our pacing guide where we're doing patterns. So I'm just wondering in kindergarten, um, what like must do's or must not do's ideas do you have when it comes to kindergarten and patterns? Do you, now I want to clarify, do you mean when you say patterns, do you mean like A, B, A, B, A, A, B, A, A, B, like that? Right. They're doing, they're, our pacing guys doing repeating patterns right now. Yes. And so they will do A, B patterns. They will, you know, all all the new ones you named and they will have to um, identify them. They have to extend them. They have to transfer them from like, I made an AB pattern with these two shapes and now I have to make an AB pattern with these two shapes. That's what our, our pacing guide is telling them. And I could be totally wrong. And again, this is me. I do not push position myself as an expert. I am always trying to learn. I don't think that's a kindergarten standard. So we're not common core. So that's probably oh, why. Okay. Yeah. So we're in Virginia okay. and we have the standards of learning and that that's what I've been reading. Um, like a lot of the like the Van Wall book, for example, is like, yeah. well, it's Ooh, not in the com- it's not in the Common Core, but blah blah blah, you know. So that okay. must be why. So I guess so. I I don't explicitly teach patterns, but I do have, you know, my kiddos notice patterns, and especially mm-hmm. those who have been in TK uh, transitional kindergarten or preschool where they did a lot of pattern work, and I have a couple puzzles where like patterns are really apparent. Um, but I mean, I think even like working with shapes, right? What shape comes next 
is like recognizing shapes and recognizing, oh, that I see three triangles, two squares, three tri you know, those could be combining this unit you're wrapping up with this pattern, with pattern work, right? right. We're going to yeah. talk about patterns with shapes. And then also looking, when I think of patterns, I also think about like patterns in nature, or I think about, um, you know, uh, Christopher Danielson, mm-hmm. uh, he, his books, uh, which one doesn't belong or how many these incredible patterns, uh, or he'll have, he has a, I think it's called diamond chat on, um, on Twitter. Like you can look up the hashtag diamond chat and there are, I mean, people come up with these images that they see around them, right? Like, what do you notice about this and seeing those patterns either in nature or in buildings, that kind of thing. I mean, I think those are patterns that are just so worth diving into and just seeing what the kiddos notice. Yeah. Um, I also think patterns in numbers. So like doing coral counts, you know, um, we did a coral count just by ones. We started at ones. The beginning of the year where we started ones, I want to see what they notice. Oh, I noticed there's all these ones. I noticed there's eight. I see a bunch of eights. We're like trying to pick out those patterns and highlighting with colors so that patterns is beyond this cookie cutter template, right? That the patterns actually extend, you know, look at a honeycomb, look at the pattern in that honeycomb. What do you notice? Look at the patterns on animals or zoom into a pattern really tightly. What do you think this is? And they're like, and when you zoom out, it's this thing they didn't expect because they're looking at the, you know, the fine, the fine detail of it. So I, I guess what, what I would say about it is that I think even if, I don't know your curriculum and it's not speaking against it, but whenever I see curriculum, right, you're always trying to look at it again, critical consumer and say, well, what does that actually mean? Let's brainstorm. Let's take the idea of patterns and like, let's just in our staff meeting, just do a brain dump. What do we think of when we think of patterns, right? Mm -hmm. We think of repeating patterns. We think of numbers that repeats. We think of, of, you know, maybe sounds that are patterns. You know, you can do environmental sounds where you're doing like, two bells, two knocks and a bell or whatever. And they have to identify what are the sounds. So you're starting to build that phonological awareness because you're, you're hearing those patterns in the sounds and not something that you can see. So I think taking that idea and just kind of brain dump and see what interests you. And then maybe there's one teacher on the staff that's like, oh my gosh, I'm super into sound patterns. I'm going to go dive in. (laughs) Right. And then maybe there's another teacher that's like, oh, these shape patterns are, ooh, I'm going to look at patterns in nature. And so I I don't think there's anything wrong with doing the, like having the kids recognize the ABAB, but I always ask like, what is the goal with that, right? What do we want them to be able to do? Do we want them to be able to recreate that? Do we want them to be able to notice it someplace? Do we want them to be able to pick it out and say, oh, that's AAB, you know, I, I, I don't know. Right. So yeah. really understanding what the goal of that is. And I just think there's so many exciting things you can do or have kids create their own patterns and they take pictures of it on seesaw or something. And then they have to share it with a friend and a friend has to decide what the pattern is, you know, that's cool. that yeah. kind of thing. So I don't know that those are the things that come to mind because when I think of a topic, it's like, Ooh, Ooh, where could we go with it? You know, yeah, right? that's fun. Is there something in kindergarten math, math that makes you go like that? Ooh, I love teaching this or something that makes you're like, hmm, it's not my favorite, but I have to teach it. 
I don't know what in kindergarten math you wouldn't like to teach. I think my most favorite lesson uh, of the year, and I've done this for a couple of years, I actually talked about it in the ShadowCon talk, is actually our number hunt. Uh, Because a lot of times I'll get kiddos who, you know, we get the whole range of kiddos who know what a number is or kiddos who really, I'm five. What does that mean? What does that look like? I'm five, you know? So this idea of what a number is and really diving into it and packing that, I love it. So one of my most favorite things is doing a number hunt with the kids. And, you know, in my shadow contact, I talked about how when I brought up the idea, it's like there are so many reasons not to do it because there are elements out of your control, right? You're not in your classroom and the kids are using new tools, but it is so fun. I mean, the kids... They get so excited to see a number in the environment. (laughs) And then that night I send them home to do one at home. And they're like, we do a share out of where did you find numbers? And they are like, oh my gosh, I don't know. It's the thing. It's the thing you do this with you. And they're motioning and I'm like, a remote control. Yeah. You know, it's, (laughs) it's just, it's so fun. And I, I feel like that's one of the beautiful things about kindergarten is just this, you know, inviting the students to notice. And that's all throughout the year, hmm. right? And I want to know what they notice. I I know, you know, they see things that I don't see. And it's really beautiful to have them get excited and start sharing about it. So that's one of my all-time favorite things and ways to start the year. Um, I also love decomposing numbers uh when students are thinking about ways to make certain numbers um you know uh, we did one we did a problem where we said the student found these crayons on the floor they found four crayons on the floor some are red and some are yellow and we're like what can you draw a picture of the crayons and we had this you know number like oh they could have been two and two. Oh, they could have been one and three. Oh, but could they have been four and zero? You know, and we're drawing, we're charting these crayons and it's just, it's just exciting for them to start thinking about numbers in a new way. So I, I love, I love that. I love, you know, playing with numbers and this idea that I even love teaching to write numbers, which I know might sound silly, but I don't know. It brings me great joy when this one little boy, oh my gosh, he was having so much trouble writing a three and he like, was shaking with excitement because he had written a three and it wasn't even a space where he was asked to write a three he just wrote a three and he was like "Ah, i wrote i did it you know and just the joy the joy (laughs) was the last time you got excited because you wrote a three right you know we take it for granted (laughs) um so and i would say one of i would say shapes are probably not my most favorite thing to teach and so I really love to, like I was saying, I really love to layer them with major standards and dive into shapes in new ways, like find really fun shape books and, you know, environmental shapes. That's, that makes it come alive for me. That's awesome. Awesome. So do you have any kindergarten specific resources that you just love or, or, and, or maybe um, books that you've been reading lately that you're excited about? Oh, well, I I love young children's mathematics, um, and that's with uh, Megan Frankie, Nick Johnson, Angela Tarot. Oh my gosh, I should have all these authors at my fingertips. 
that is an amazing book. Um, and I, one of the things I love is the videos because they have all these amazing videos of kids actually counting or actually sharing out. Hmm. And I think particularly for new teachers, it's this way that it becomes more real, right? And anytime you catch yourself saying, can my kids really do that? It's like, well, look, you think I coach this kid? This kid's doing it, right? Yeah. You know? So uh, I love, love, love that book. I will, um, if you don't already have a link, I'll give you a link to to post. Because awesome. if, if your listeners don't know about that book. And uh, I love the Counting Collections book, the Counting Collections and Coral Counting book. Woo-hoo. It is so rich yeah. and it has so many amazing voices in it. And not just the you know, kindergarten section or the young children's section. It's just, it's really rich. And then I have to, have to say, Becoming the Math Teacher You Wish You Had by Tracy Zager um, is this gorgeous tome that I just like, I just kind of like hold it sometimes. Girl, we are right there with you. Mine just has post-it notes out everywhere. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, and actually, so the very first time I met Tracy, I did not have the book with me, so I had her sign something else, and I like carefully taped it in there. You know, it's just <laughs> that's awesome. I, I love it. I love it. So those are kind of some of my go-to's, and then you know, I also read a lot of um, articles like NCTM and their their um, like their publications. They'll put out kindergarten specific articles like Got Tools or there's ones on counting collections. And I think the beautiful part about these resources is that you are not expected to be the expert in all of these things, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, no, like, ah, like look around. There's so many people thinking about this and you can put something even out on Twitter and say, you know, I'm about to start this. Where where would you start reading more about it? Or, you know, or I watch videos on teaching channel. Mm -hmm. There's some really, really great counting collections videos on uh, teaching channel. There's one, Stephanie Latimer, she does this beautiful, like if you want to see a beautiful example of somebody inviting kids to try a new strategy, but not pushing it, beautiful. I love it. I've watched it a dozen times. And I met her at the CGI conference and I was kind of like, Stephanie Latimer, when you do this teaching move, I love it so much. And she's like, wow. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. But hey, we'll we'll put a link to that on our show notes too. So okay. most of our teachers, because Tracy oh, was sorry. fourth can I grade. Get, oh, yeah, yeah, go. Can I say one thing? Mm-hmm. And I do want to say um, two of my, well, there's a couple like books that I love that every year when it's time to read them, I get so excited to the kids. So can I share those? Yes, please do. Okay. So there's one which I think it might say that a rectangle has two long sides and two short sides. So just gloss over that okay skip that page um, don't read that page. yeah <laughs> when a line bends a shape begins and it's by Rhonda Gowler Green and it is so gorgeous it's it's really and like just even that concept when a line bends a shape begins it's like oh and so we have so much fun like with a piece of yarn like let's make it a line now what shape or like wiki sticks or oh Ooh, cool. I love that book um, there's another book that I love because it just cracks me up. It's called Book, Book, Book by Deborah Bruss. And it's about this group of animals that decide to go to the library and they take turns trying to check out a book. 
and I won't give away, but the librarian doesn't understand them, right? I won't give away what happens, but let me just say the hijinks ensue. I love that book so much. I got to go check it out like exactly. tomorrow. <laughs> okay. And then, um, okay, one, because you told me you were going to ask me this question. And so shame on me for not having all the young children's mathematics authors at the ready. This one book that I read every year, it's called A Squiggle Story. And it's by Andrew Larson. And this book I read like either the first day or the second day of school, like right before I talk about writers and I talk about how they're writers and I give them a journal. And this could be for anything. This is about this little boy who sees his sister reading and writing and he, he wants to and his sister says, then write, start with what you know. And it's so lovely. And it's like, he's like, okay, I know how to make an I and he makes the letter I, and then the rest are like these shapes and these squiggles, but they have meaning to him. And so it's this, for me, it's this invitation for my kiddos that, you know, cause the first thing a lot of them say is, I don't know how to write. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, just you wait, right? And it's like this idea that what they're doing has meaning and they're communicating ideas and they can do that in a way, like whatever way, mm-hmm. wherever they're at, so. Those are three of my most favorite books in the world to read oh, to kids. Cool. I'm going to check them all out. Yes. I can't wait to. So I'm, we're kind of at the end, but I'm thinking about our audience. And I think that it's probably four to six, four to sixth grade teachers, just because we have 45 episodes and that's where we've been for a long time. Yeah. Tracy becoming a coach and stepping out of the classroom has broadened our audiences. So do you have advice or do you have something for those teachers that are listening as a kindergarten teacher about primary math that you would give to them? Yeah, I think, you know, I think this would be for, for every grade, but especially, especially for four through six, that um, those kiddos who are coming in and if they're coming in with a negative disposition about math, that that could have started really, really, really early but that remembering that it's not fixed, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you get that kid in there who really is struggling with math or who doesn't feel, again, like I talked about that capable and competent, but just remembering like, just cause they're in fourth and sit through six doesn't mean that it's too late to like find ways for them to feel successful in math and whatever that looks like. And then um, the other thing I would say is don't assume that your kids are fluent. And by that, I mean with their math facts. Um, and I am, I, I ask, I'm actually working with um, one of my partner teachers. She's in third grade and we've been talking a lot about this idea about fluency. And for some people, when they hear the idea of fluency, they think of time tests. And that's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that kiddos are able to accurately um, or with strategy, answer a question efficiently, like they own it. They feel like they know it. And those fluency standards are really, really strong up through third grade. And so I think sometimes fourth through sixth grade teachers may not spend time on that fluency, but it could really be holding them back, especially when they start doing more work with fractions, you know, and you're asking them to add and subtract and divide and multiply fractions. And if they're not seeing you know, common denominators, or they're not, they don't have that, maybe even gaps in addition and subtraction fluency, you know, even five to 10 minutes a day can really make a huge difference. 
And I'm really grateful that I got to work with uh, Val Henry, who is a creator of FactsWise, which is a program that's all about math fact fluency. And, um, you know, I, I work with that with my kids. It's all about these short, small routines where you're helping kids make sense and really owning those facts. I, I think that those two ideas tie together, that sometimes kids have decided by fourth and sixth grade that they're not a math person or they're not good at math. And it could be something like addition and subtraction facts that are holding them back from that access because they don't have it fluently. There's a point in time when you're fi- counting on your fingers is no longer working for you. And so you've just decided that you can't do it and you're not capable. And that's so not true. And so I would really say, find out where your kids are in terms of their addition and subtraction facts and their multiplication and division facts and bring that data as a team to decide, okay, what do we do now? That does not mean time tests, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but what does that mean in terms of, you know, backfilling that and really empowering those kids with these facts that are actually going to give them a lot more access to the mathematics that you're being asked to teach at your grade level. Good stuff. So I've spent the whole day doing that today. Um, I work, I'm working with a teacher on um, multiplication fluency in her fifth grade class. And so I assessed everybody in her class today on where they were with fluency, like did a math running record and it was eye-opening. And I'm so glad you, like, said all that because it's confirmation that, like, yeah, we're doing the right thing. Like, this is the right yeah, the right absolutely. direction to go in. Um, it was heartbreaking what they didn't know, you know, they and, yeah. and how limited their strategies were. But I kept telling the teacher, like, think about how much room we have for growth here. How exciting is it going to be? Like, we, we can see their baseline. It's on paper, and it's scary. <laughs> um, but we have so much room to grow. Um, right. And once they get – a real firm grasp on some of them, they can use those to help them solve other ones, you know? And, you know, the fluency really compiles, right? It, so I am working so hard to support my kiddos in reaching fluency within five by the end of kindergarten, but then also introducing them to ways to make 10. And then this idea of 10 ones and some more ones to help with this idea of teen numbers, but then also, uh, place value. But, you know, some people are like, oh, kindergarten, they don't need fluency. Just use your fingers, you know? Well, yeah, they can do that. But then next year they're asked to do within 10 fluently, and then they're asked to do within 20, and then they're introduced to it. And then, you know, and it's, it's, they're all pieces to the puzzle, you know, and I love the progression document that, you know, really looks at how it's all linked. And if you've got these gaps back here, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It just means you need somebody to help you like, Hey, we can fix that. We can fill that in. Yeah. Let's practice, you know, through games, through, you know, whatever. There's so many amazing resources on fluency. There's also some really not great ones on fluency. So <laughs> right. you know, critical consumers, a critical consumer. Yeah. Yes. So we always like to ask people, is there anything else that we didn't ask that you would that you wish we had asked. And um, you said at the very beginning before we started that you have a podcast. So I'm hoping you'll tell us about that too. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I'm happy to. (laughs) Um, I, I guess what I would want you to ask is like, it sounds a little cheesy, but advice for new teachers. Cause you said, I heard you say you're working with a lot of new teachers. Yes. Tell us. I, the reason this is on my mind is because there's these two new teachers in at my school. Like we're, the three of us are new, but they're new to the profession, okay. right? And we've we've been able to have some conversations about 
you know, diving into this profession. And I would say besides self-care, whatever that looks like for you, Mm -hmm. uh, really, really giving yourself the gift of like giving yourself permission to ask questions and to not know and to not expect yourself to know everything. And I feel like sometimes teachers will, new teachers will enter saying like, oh, I better not ask my team. They seem to all know, right? They seem to all know what's going on or they seem to all know what this acronym means or or how to teach that or, ah, you know, I better not ask. And it's like, no, ask. I, I mean, I really think we got into this profession because we love teaching. So most experienced teachers would be delighted to bring you in and say, oh, let me show you what I do. And you can see if that works for you. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but it gives yourself permission to the same thing we want our students to do, which is ask questions, right? And I would also say like, you know, I talked a lot about that launch for counting collections, but I would also say to new teachers to not put this pressure on yourself to work on everything at once, you know, to really say, you know what, this week, I'm really going to work on my questioning. I want to be really intentional about what questions I ask the students and really listening to their answers. So I'm going to write three questions down and maybe it's questions you found in a book or online or, or oh, what, how did you solve that? Whatever questions, whatever you're curious about, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to write it on this index card and I'm going to carry it around with me, right? And I'm going to take notes and you may not know what to do with the notes. You may not, whatever. I'm going to, that's my goal, right? And just what comes up for you when you focus on that? Because in teaching, there are a million different demands on us and, and decisions that we're making in every moment. And I think no matter where you are, but especially when you're beginning, is to give yourself permission to really zoom in and know that in doing that, you still are doing the best for your kids by being really intentional and crafting your work, you know, crafting what you're doing and listening to your kiddos. And um, I don't know, when I get home, like I don't even wanna decide what we're gonna have for dinner. So <laughs> like, I think, especially when you're new, when you haven't quite figured out like which way's up, that building that classroom culture, building that community and really, really, you know, zooming in. Like if you're trying a new routine, zoom in on one aspect of it yeah. and then don't don't beat yourself up if it doesn't go perfectly. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice for sure. Will you tell us about your podcast? Oh, I will tell you about that. So, okay, so actually the podcast is one, is like a major source of self-care for me because it is so different than, well, it's connected, but anyway, a couple of years ago, like three or four years ago, my very best friend in the world, she is a professional organizer and she and I talk about organization all the time. Like we used to watch organizing shows in college. Like we just <laughs> love it. I am not organized particularly, but I love talking about it and thinking about it and just helping others get like, I just love it. I love, 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 love it. And so she said to me, she said, um, she said, what do you think about recording this? I'm like, I don't know how to make a podcast. And she's like, I don't either. Let's figure it out. Um, anyway, so we decided to start this podcast and it's called a to B podcast. And it's, 
um, my best friend's Autumn and I'm Bethany. Okay. And so A to B. Got it. Even though the AU makes an aw sound instead of at. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's all about us talking about organizing, like what we're curious about, what we what we are excited about. We have interviewed some of our most favorite organizers in the world. That's awesome. Um, like Peter, I know, I know it's so, Peter Walsh, who's like this amazing, like we watched his shows when we were in college. And then we just interviewed Julie Morgenstern, both of whom have worked with Oprah, <gasps> who I'm obsessed with. And so it was very hard for me not to spend the whole interview asking about Oprah, <laughs> but I limited myself to one question. <laughs> For each of them, I said, I'm going to ask Peter Walsh about this thing about Oprah. I'm going to ask Julie Morgenstern about this thing about Oprah. And then I'm going to take a deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Definitely going to check it out on my way to work tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. So it's, you know, it's a lot of fun and it's very different than, um, you know, we do talk about school. We talk about organizing. My only kiddo besides the kiddos I teach every day are this little dog that you've heard all throughout the podcast. So um, it, she has three daughters. So it's been really, it's been a wonderful time for us to spend time together. And then also to talk about these issues that we really care about. So we usually end with a takeaway and what did you say teachers are supposed to be? What kind of consumers? What kind? Critical consumers. Yes. I knew it was alliteration. Yeah. But <laughs> Ruth loves a good alliteration. I do. <laughs> Who doesn't? It makes it like easy to remember. So that's where I'm going to go with is just critical consumers because there's a whole lot of stuff. We were just talking about this that like multiplying integers is what I've taught. And there's a lot of wrong stuff about multiplying and dividing integers mm-hmm. or just stuff that's taught wrong. It's not not conceptual. Yeah, it's not conceptual and it's not that it's not true. It's just that there's so much more that a student needs to learn before you just tell them that. So, yeah. Critical consumers. Jay, you got one? I actually do. Okay, tell us. I think one thing that has struck me throughout this whole thing is, you know, you'll ask, "What about shapes?" and she'll answer about shapes. And you'll ask, "What about I don't know, what are the other patterns. things? You're, what are the patterns?" And every answer of hers was like you know, I teach that along with other things. Like it's integrated into the other things she teaches. And it's not like she teaches patterns and then moves to shapes and then moves to, you know, numbers. numbers and then moves to, you know, it's all, she teaches it as a part of something else or along with something else. So you stole mine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I'm going to go with your advice to new teachers, and I think I can incorporate that when I'm coaching because um, Jay makes a joke about me all the time saying that if I went into Jesus' classroom and was watching him, I'd still have suggestions for him. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I think I can be like, oh, my gosh, there's so much here that we need to fix, and I get overwhelmed like – okay, what are all the things that need to be happening different here? But I think I can take your advice and like help the teacher narrow into one thing that he or she wants to focus on and just work small and and be really like zoom in on that one thing. That was really good advice. So thank you. Thanks. Do can you, I say something? Yes, back please. To it or am I not? Yeah, yeah. please do. Does that, does that wrap it up? So we, if you want to share a takeaway or just a reflection, any of that, go for it. Well, I want to say that what you said about the new teacher thing is that 
I feel like a big piece of that is still giving that permission for the brain dump, right? Because you still, you don't, as a new teacher, you don't want to pretend all that's not happening in your head. It is. And you're trying to get it out, but then you're saying, what am I zooming in on? So you're realizing all these pieces, like if you put it all on a whiteboard, all these things are happening in this one routine. Yes, that is true. And we're going to zoom in, you know? So it's that permission to see the big picture, but then give yourself permission to zoom in. And then what you were saying about the critical consumers, you know, I'm, I, I had the opportunity to do, uh, be part of ed reports. Are you familiar with ed reports? Mm, I've heard of it, but I don't know that. So ed reports is a national organization that, uh, they basically, review curriculum and they look for alignment, coherence, and rigor, the major shifts in the common core curriculum. And they, they, they do these beautiful deep dives into the curriculum. And I, it helped me to learn the standards at such, in such a deeper way. Cause I was on a K through two, two team. And one of the things that I really took away from that is that it's not about, you know, chucking the textbook out the window, but it's about knowing your standards and knowing your students and looking at it and trying to build that coherence, keep that rigor, looking at the textbook and seeing, okay, where are the missing pieces? Or my textbook is saying I only focus on the ABAB. Well, okay, I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to chuck it out the window, but I'm going to say, how do I make that come alive for my students? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like that layering piece again. And you know, I, I never, I'm not like anti Pinterest or anti teachers pay teachers. It's just, again, I think, or anti making things yourself. It's just that, again, that piece of what, what is it that you are, what are you downloading and what, what is it? I I think all those teachers who put all that detailed work into it truly have the best of intentions. Right. And so when I look at it, I'm trying to look at, okay, is this actually going to add to the, help my students access the concept? Is this something that I would really say is just busy work? What, what is the purpose of this? And so I think that critical consumer piece takes more work, but it's something that I feel like is a practice that we're trying to get better at, right? Mm-hmm, um, and there's sure. this worksheet that had this thing about even or odd. I. I chose not to give that to my students. The rest of it may have been okay, but it's like, oh, there's something better that's more on a line. Cause even an odd isn't until second grade. So I don't want my students sitting there and struggling. Well, what's even, what's odd? You know, maybe it'll come up in a conversation, but that's not the like where I'm going to spend the bulk of my instruction. Right. So anyway, it's, it's been a total pleasure. I'm honored that your dive away from fourth through sixth was <laughs> Included, like, included me because I love primary and I love talking about, you know, our students. And I, I think it's so easy to underestimate our kiddos. And I'm on a mission that we, we were like, no, what are you talking about? They know way more than me. (laughs) (laughs) I learn from them every day. We really appreciate you joining us. Whenever you talk to somebody who has a great passion for what they do, it's just so exciting. And it, you know, I'm, I'm leaving feeling like, woohoo, let's do this because your passion (laughs) is just like bubbling over. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks. That is a, 
Now that's a good compliment, especially since we're recording this after teaching all I day. Know, right? I know, I <laughs> know, exactly right. And we're three hours in front of you, so we're I almost know. past our bedtime. Yeah, Ruth is past I her know. bedtime. <laughs> probably like, I know I saw you with the, the yawn. I was like, it's okay, you're allowed to yawn. I, I can stop talking. Oh, no. Well, let me just say one more thing. Please, you know, no. <laughs> uh, Ruth's been going, she's she's uh, renovating her house, and she's been going to bed at like 7.30 because she has nowhere to sit and watch TV. <laughs> so you just have to go to bed, and you can only sit in your bed for so long before you actually fall asleep. Yeah. So. So yeah, way past yeah. your bedtime. Yeah. I and mean, that is one way to, to, you know, to catch up. Yeah. yeah. It's been a, a lot of months of catching up. I'm kind of caught up on sleep. I need to <laughs> have a place to sit. So it was I know, so and good. There's some you. really good stuff on Netflix right now. So oh. hope you get that back soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Bethany. But no, it, again, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. It's been a treat. And thank you for all the work you guys are doing. The, the idea that you, it reminds me of uh, my friend ta- us talking about organizing in the morning, right? Yeah. On my drive to school, you guys talking about math yeah. before breakfast. Like, I love it. I love it. So thanks for all your, your work that you do. And I, I'm excited to listen along awesome. and learn with you guys. Well, we, we usually end by asking each other, are we running tomorrow, Ruth? We are running. Okay. All right. So maybe <laughs> one day we'll see you on a run. <laughs> unlikely but i'll be cheering you on okay all right thank you i will will cheer you on bye bye